Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Quick one today on a Sunday morning, getting you ready for some of the key matchups this weekend. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Radio.com. Please feel free to leave a review. Uh, We're going to start off in a little bit of reverse fashion because the big game tonight, of course, is the Rams at Chicago in the cold weather. Two of the best teams in the NFC and the NFL in general facing off tonight, but this is one of the best bits of audio. We're going to start off hearing from Matt Nagy, head coach of the Chicago Bears, talk about his time he spent out of football, part of which was as a substitute teacher. I'll tell you that it, there was a there was a grade that just it, it, I struggled kindergarten. That was a struggle for me. Stop it! Right? I, I, my my favorite was was uh, I loved um, seventh and eighth grade. That was like the perfect age. Um, but but kindergarten, I, I I'll never forget the day I went home and told my wife. I said I'm I'll never be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> Did they? Then I went into real estate, and then the recession hit. <laughs> Kindergartners? Well, they don't listen. See, I'm like, I'm, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy because I'm, I'm, cra- I'm like weird about like eye contact and listen to me and, you know, and make sure that we're connecting. And I got none of that, so I was always just like, you know, I. But I'm, and I, I don't, I normally don't get frizzled, but I was, I was frizzled that day when I left, and they had me, they had me, uh, I was beat. They beat me up. I, I'm serious too. I'll never forget that day. There's Matt Nagy. He was so frazzled that he was frizzled. They, they completely changed the English vocabulary for him. I don't know how you teachers do it. I don't know how you keep those young kids. Uh, I don't I know how you keep their attention locked in for the entire day. I don't know how you do it with seniors in high school or, or college freshmen or anything. So God bless all of you. Uh, God bless Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy has just done a much better job with the Chicago Bears team than anybody really anticipated. Let's remember... I think when the Oakland Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, they anticipated getting a higher first-round pick. That kind of blew up in their faces. Not going to be a high first-round pick. Khalil Mack, obviously, one of the star players in this game. His counterpart on the Rams would be Aaron Donald. And I think both these defenses are going to be very much the deciding factor in this evening's game. Um, look, Look, the Rams' offense is... Impressive. Uh, They haven't been as impressive through the air these last few weeks. And they're going into Chicago where the high is going to be 29 today. I don't know what the temperature is going to be at game time. But Jared Goff doesn't necessarily inspire a whole lot of confidence playing in cold weather. And there's also this, the Chicago Bears defense, which you guys have heard me gush about how opportunistic they are, uh, just how solid they are in terms of technique, responsibilities. Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, does a great job of blurring the picture. And Jared Goff, who is still a young quarterback, let's remember, is going to see a blurred picture where sometimes man looks like zone, sometimes zone looks like man. There's a whole lot of blended coverages of zone and man being played at the same time, and in in some respects, too, they also play some base coverages that look a lot like what the Detroit Lions do. The Detroit Lions put up more of a fight versus the Rams offense than a lot of people anticipated. So I think the Bears, especially at home on that, if not as sloppy as it used to be field, still that grass field in the cold weather. 
I like the Rams defense. Excuse me. I like the Bears defense to give give the Rams this trouble. In terms of the Bears offense, I think obviously the return of Mitch Trubisky is a big deal. I'm I'm not hugely bullish on his future, but for what he does in this scheme and his ability to hurt teams with his legs, it's a big big deal versus the Rams because the Rams are not a good run defense at all. And this. Bears' ability to sustain drives um, for Mitchell Trubisky to threaten him with his legs. Their ability to use misdirection is a lot like the Kansas City Chiefs' ability to use misdirection, which hurt the Rams on that Monday night football game where both teams gave up 400,000 yards and it was ridiculous and supposedly it changed the course of football. I think the Bears' offense can do some damage versus this Rams' defense. So that's that's going to be a deciding factor. I don't – look – I don't know if defense wins championship. I think it ends up winning tonight. The Bears do have to worry, obviously, about Aaron Donald. Um, I think since Dante Fowler came back or came over via trade from the Jaguars, I think he's actually made a big difference. But the the Bears defense is just too good. The Rams offense is not quite as potent as it had been for most of the first part of the season, and I don't like their matchup tonight. So I am predicting a Bears victory. Now, one of the other warm-weather quarterbacks going to play in a cold setting today would be Cam Newton as the Carolina Panthers travel up to Cleveland, and there's been a lot of questioning as to just how healthy Cam Newton might be if his shoulder is bothering him. Here's what Cam Newton had to say when pressed about it at the press conference on Thursday. No, you're never going to use it as an excuse, but it says something you might have to get taken care of again after this season. Amongst other things. Now, come on now. You know Cleveland looking at these tapes, right? So. In all seriousness, you think you have to get your shoulder fixed? I don't know. I can't conform. I can't confirm or deny. But at the end of the day, I just know, um, you know, I'm healthy enough to play. Well, that was about one of the weakest I cannot confirm or denies. I've ever heard in my entire life, obviously, his shoulders bothering him. Lie. Cam, that's what I want in these situations. Just lie to me if you have to. But it's hard as a player because a lot of times when obviously your performance is suffering and Cam dropped off these last couple weeks, it's it's hard to sit out there and act like you're completely fine and that you're just playing poorly. It's really, really hard to do. So I don't hate him for it. I do hate the Panthers' chances of winning this game. Excuse me, excuse me. I hate the Browns' chances of winning in this game because if there's one team that it wouldn't matter that Cam's arm isn't quite correct versus, it's the Cleveland Browns because their run defense is absolutely atrocious. These guys don't play with discipline. They're out of position all over the place. I think Cam, as long as his legs are still scary, strong, and fast, and as long as they're still able to run the ball, the Browns don't have a chance on this one. I know the Panthers are only a one-point favorite. I really like the Panthers in this game. Deal with it. You're also going to have to deal with me liking the Texans in their matchup with the Colts as the Colts travel to Houston today. Frank Reich, what concerns you about J.J. Watt? He's definitely all the way back. He's disruptive. He's consistent. You know, the, all the things that are indicative of his play are, are there on tape. And, you know, he's, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. 
I agree, Frank Reich, uh, and I also agree that Jadeveon Clowney is a force to be reckoned with. You didn't say that, but I assume you said it somewhere in the press conference. Those two guys are really making this defense tick in a lot of ways right now, and they're getting very good contributions in pass coverage from Zach Cunningham, the young linebacker, uh, Dylan Cole, the other young linebacker, both second-year guys. Uh, he came back healthy last week and played a bunch of downs. So they're getting contributions from those guys. They're getting competent play from the cornerbacks. I think Kareem Jackson and Jonathan Joseph have had solid years doing what they're asking them to do. And these guys aren't really really adept in one-on-one -on -one coverage versus really speedy receivers anymore. They're not quite as fast as they used to be. But as a whole, the the defensive unit is doing what they need to do. They're going to be tested and stretched today by T.Y. Hilton. Um, the safeties are going to be tested by Eric Ebron. This is the first real passing attack test they've had in a while so far this season. And this Texans defense, which hasn't had a lot to complain about at all, can really go a long way in cementing what people think about them right now if they can follow through and limit Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts. On the offensive side of the ball, the Texans are, are one of the top rushing teams in the NFL, but not in terms of yards per carry. They've run the ball for a lot of yardage through running the ball a lot, a lot of volume, because they've had to limit, for one, how much exposure Deshaun Watson gets to all these hits he took earlier in the year. So the offensive line has improved somewhat. Deshaun Watson hasn't taken as many hits, but it's also because they're not passing the ball as much and because the coaches are using running backs and tight ends in pass protection a lot more. They've really kind of cloistered in and played to be protective of Deshaun Watson. You can't lose that guy. His bruised lungs earlier in the year obviously hurt them in more ways than just the passing stats because when you lose the ability to threaten the defense with his legs, then you lose a whole lot of everything else with that offense. Uh, the Colts did slow down Lamar Miller in week four. He only had 49 rushing yards on 14 carries. It's a very good rushing defense. The Colts, uh, they're, they're so solid and young on defense, and they continue to get better, I think, as the season goes along. And even in that miserable loss to the Jaguars last week, you saw, well, they still held the Jaguars to six points. They just couldn't generate any points. I don't think the... Texans defense is capable of shutting down the Colts the way the Jaguars did because they don't have a cornerback like Jalen Ramsey who can track T.Y. Hilton all over the field. That's a lot of what happened in that game. I from it, It's not like the Jaguars defensive line was beating the Colts offensive line consistently all the time. It's just that... Andrew Luck didn't always have a clear picture, and he didn't always have open wide receivers, and eventually the Colts' offensive line broke down. It was a really good overall defensive effort by the Jaguars. I'm not sure the Texans, even though they're a solid defense, I don't know if they're built in quite the same way to present the same matchup issues as the Indianapolis Colts did. But it's at home um, for the Texans. I like the Texans in this game. Falcons at Packers. You know what? I was wrong earlier. It's a high of 29 today in Green Bay. It's a high of 31 or 32 in Chicago. So I'm sure it'll be colder than 31 or 32 by game time this evening. As far as Green Bay, uh, they play the they play at the midday, so it'll be about 29, 30 degrees or so. I think that for a dome team, especially in Atlanta, who Matt Matt Ryan has uh, Matt Ryan has been pretty productive this season. It's just there's not a whole lot outside of Julio Jones and Matt Ryan going on on that team right now. I do wonder also how the Packers respond. A lot of times you see that 
jolt immediately after when you get an interim coach stepping in. You get everybody's on their P's and Q's. There's maybe a renewed energy, maybe some excitement, or maybe just guys knowing they, they need to save their ass. My question would be, is Joe Philbin the kind of guy to pull that off? Remember when Matt Campbell took over for the Dolphins a few years back? Matt Campbell was the kind of guy that could really juice up a locker room, and they played with their tails on fire for a couple of weeks, and then it all came crumbling down to pieces. But Joe Philbin, I'm not, I'm not quite so sure he's that guy. Oh, especially given the fact that he was the guy that was fired when Matt Campbell took over. So Joe Philbin's complete lack of fire is one of the things that got him fired. And Matt Campbell came in and replaced him. So uh, I would not anticipate a big Joe Philbin bump here. But I do expect the Packers to take care of business versus a dome team in this would-be NFC championship that was, I'm sure, predicted by a bunch of people back in August or so. Hasn't been that kind of year for these guys. RIP 2018 seasons for the Packers and the Falcons. One matchup that does have a whole lot of heat, very much to get excited about on this one, is the Chiefs versus the Ravens. Just because I love hearing him talk, what does Pat Mahomes have to say about the Ravens' formidable defense? They have their own scheme, uh, first off. Uh, it's different than most teams, if not all teams in the league. And then they also have the players that are that are – uh, talented as well as smart enough to, to run it and so uh, it does present a different challenge that you don't see every single week but at the same time you, you're you, you're ready for challenges like that I mean this is top rated defense in the league and they're gonna come with the physicality and they're gonna come I mean they're going to get in the playoffs and so uh, it, it's gonna have that playoff atmosphere and I'm excited to kind of be an arrowhead and get a play against a good defense like this as far as that scheme goes, one thing that they'll likely do at least a little bit, and Andy Benoit pointed this out on his MMQB podcast, is Terrell Suggs jamming Travis Kelsey, Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's it's effective. It takes Terrell Suggs out of the pass rush, so you always have to balance those two things. Okay, do we take one of our best, best pass rushers, do we slow him down by jamming a tight end or even like jamming Tyreek Hill when he's lined up in the slot with Terrell Suggs? The answer is yes, and especially because Terrell Suggs is very capable of doing that. And it's I, I think for being as kind of a whack job as he is, guys deserve a lot of credit when they're willing to do that because it's going to take away from their sack totals. And a lot of younger players especially get kind of angry about that because they know they're they're limiting their pass rush. Pro football focus will say they didn't get an effective pass rush. This used to happen with Connor Barwin all the time when he played for the Texans. Connor Barwin would be just jamming tight ends or he'd be off in coverage, and then pro football focus would point out that he didn't do a great job pressing the passer. Well, okay, I get that, but that wasn't his primary responsibility. I think pro football focus is – grown in the way they grade players since then they've gotten more sophisticated so I don't know it'd be interesting to see them go back and regrade some of the guys they did from earlier in the pro football focus era but anyway that doesn't really have anything to do with today's matchup the Ravens will blitz too and that's always a question okay are they a good enough defense to blitz the Kansas City Chiefs without it hurting them eventually downfield, especially with all that speed that they have with the ability of Travis Kelsey to attack the seams. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I trust the Ravens offense more than I trust, excuse me, I trust the Chiefs offense more than I trust the Ravens defense at this point. Mahomes is, he's inconsistent, 
but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think he's in this strange spot where even his negatives are hard to get all too worked up about. And every quarterback in the league obviously has negatives, but he's so incredible and he's capable of making such ridiculous plays that I feel like he's in this weird twilight zone type of place where it doesn't matter almost. Uh, the one thing, though, that he can't help is if he's not on the field. And the Ravens, with Lamar Jackson and their ability to just grind up the clock will be interesting here. They have more 10-play drives with the Ravens than any other team in the league. You want to talk about old-school playoff-style football, even though it's with a new-age look in the way Lamar Jackson is running the ball, also taking a whole lot of hits and getting hit upside the head at times. Um, this is going to be a unique challenge, and I think they limit uh, – they limit – the Chiefs offense by keeping the Chiefs offense off the field, kind of the old Tom Brady strategy. And then also through their very good defense. Still, though, just too much firepower there. And even if they're off the field, they have the ability to score in such quick strikes that I don't think it matters. So ultimately, as much as I'm pulling for the Ravens, and I, I, I'd love for them to be able to pull it out with a defensive effort and a Lamar Jackson highlight reel, I think it's going to be the Chiefs in this one. And I am running out of time here, so let me give you my quick rundown of a few of the remaining games. Saints at Bucks. The Tampa defense has actually steadily gotten better since they replaced Mike Smith as the defensive coordinator. Jameis Winston, though, I, I'm not I, I'm not going to believe that Jameis Winston is a new and improved quarterback until I see a sustained stretch where he doesn't have a ridiculously bad turnover game. He could have had one last week. He didn't. Uh, I don't believe it yet, and obviously – I don't care that it's outside. I don't care that the field conditions won't be pristine. This is the New Orleans freaking Saints. Throw out their history with the Buccaneers, including week one this year. They're a different football team right now. Eagles, Cowboys, look, the Dallas defense is for real. It's just a matter, I think, in a lot of ways of Rod Marinelli's defense getting really comfortable and dialed in and just playing with ferocity all over the field so far as the season. I think they've gotten better, and that's just it's just a flat-out solid defense. They play man well. Um, the Eagles don't really have anybody in the receiving core that can challenge the, the Cowboys' defense. The Eagles' defensive backs are miserable and slow. Them running after 30-plus-year-old Adrian Peterson and not gaining any ground on him at all on his 99-yard run the other day uh, was just pathetic. So the one thing that's kind of shocking about this matchup when I look at it is that Xavier Suofilo is the guard that was released by the Texans this year who then went to New Orleans, then got picked up by Dallas, I think has actually stabilized that offensive line a little bit. Not a good look for the Texans coaches who weren't able to do anything with that guy for four years if Xavier Suofilo ends up being one of the linchpins up that, that offensive line. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I think he's he's also a guy that was kind of a late bloomer in a lot of ways in the football world. Let's see. Steelers at Raiders. I don't know what to make of Roethlisberger from quarter to quarter or series to series. He's putting up ridiculous numbers, but then also having ridiculous turnovers. He reminds me of Jim Morrison at the end of his career with the Doors, where things got really ugly, and if you went to a Doors concert, you could either see absolute brilliance, or you could see a complete train wreck. That is 
Ben, Jim Morrison, Roethlisberger at this point. There might have been a little duplication here. I'm into fast fire mode right now. Monday Night Football, Vikings at the Seahawks. I might still talk about these guys on Monday, but uh, the brief rundown would be that, look, everybody wants the Vikings to run the ball more. I think John, uh, John DiFilippo himself said that he wanted to run the ball more. Sometimes the simplest explanation is the the right explanation, which would probably be that Vikings offensive line isn't all that good. I read a thing by Sage Rosenfels, the old quarterback and a teammate of mine, that said that that, that team is actually built for running the ball from under center with Dalvin Cook. I don't know that they are. I don't know that that offensive line can handle it. So I'm going to I'm gonna lay off on John DeFilippo a little bit and question the personnel more than the actual play calling at this point. They'd, it'd be great if they could run the ball more because Kirk Cousins is that game manager plus that does better when you have a run game and then the pass game can build off the run game. They simply aren't that team right now. The Seahawks defense ironically or unexpectedly has actually gotten better since Earl Thomas went down. I don't think it's as simple as oh, somehow Earl Thomas was a cancer and now these guys can thrive. I think it's a matter of a bunch of newer and younger players playing under a very good defensive mind in Pete Carroll and that those guys are going to get better as the season goes along. Because Pete Carroll's a good defensive coach. The Seahawks also running the ball very well. Russell Wilson, who would be like a Kirk Cousins plus, 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 also can build a passing game off the run game, and they'll take their deep shots. But he's obviously just a much better and different quarterback than Kirk Cousins. So uh, I like the Seahawks in that game, barring some unforeseen injury or somebody getting arrested or anything else that happens. Going to play you right now the Michael Lombardi interview from earlier in this week. I cut out a few things at the beginning about Thursday Night Football, so we're going to pick right up on him talking about how the hell do you figure out who a head coach is going to be while you're in the hiring process. I love these guys that have this ability to uh, create imagery for head coaching jobs. I mean, you know, if anybody watches the Titans on offense, would the first thing come to your head say, you know, we should hire that offensive coordinator for our head coach, but yet everybody gets their names out there. It's really remarkable. I think it's almost like, I've said this before, the NFL jobs are elected positions, not selected. And it really comes down to who's electable and the guys that have great campaigns get jobs. It's it's kind of like the old thing they say about politics, like actual politics, which is the requirements for getting elected aren't necessarily the same requirements for actually doing a good job at the job. No doubt. And I think we see it. I mean, look, people are talking about John D. Filippo's, uh, uh, he's on everybody's head coaching list. Meanwhile, up in Minnesota, you know, they can't, they run the ball 13 times in New England going to play Tom Brady. I mean, and they wonder why they can't win games. And they wonder, and Dalvin Cook averages almost seven yards a carry. And it's just, it's remarkable to me. We've become a league that we move away from the game tape. We move away from what actually matters to, to winning games. And we become into the, well, Warren, as Malcolm Gladwell wrote in his book, Outliers, it's the, it's the Warren Harding effect. The good looking young guy gets the job. And may, and I'm not saying this because I'm an old fat guy. I'm just saying <laughs> it's because I don't understand it. Well, I, it's interesting you brought up John Filippo, and I, I heard you talk about that on your Ringer podcast where it feels like he's more concerned about showing that he could be a head coach versus just doing his job as as offense coordinator. I remember some players saying that about Rob Chinzinski when he was the offensive coordinator in Carolina, that he was trying a little too hard to be clever. Is this? Do you see this more commonly than people might realize? 
Oh, it's very uh, it's obvious. I mean, it's, to the average fan, it's not obvious, but the people in the industry, it's obvious. And if you really understand the game, and if you really understand how to set up a game plan and what it takes to win, look, the number one thing you have to do on Monday afternoon when you start game planning or Tuesday is you got to sit in a room and say, what do we have to do to win the game? What do we have to do to win the game, and what are they going to do to us? And, and, and I said, I did a show on Minneapolis radio last week, and Paul Allen, the host, who's the play-by-play guy, said, Paul, here's what's going to happen in the game. Belichick's going to stick his tongue out to DiFilippo and say, I dare you to run the ball. And he's going to play nickel, and he's going to not care about anything, and Cook will run for the ball, and Belichick will keep daring him. And by the fourth quarter, nobody will call any runs, and Belichick will win the game because DiFilippo won't figure out what's going on. And that's exactly what happened. When you call 13 runs against Tom Brady in New England, you're not going to win the game. Now, look, I, I'm the biggest proponent that, that will always say, look, if you try to establish the run, you're going to establish field goals. I get that. But there has to be a pace to the game, and there has to be a way to where you can run the football effectively enough and still throw it and make big plays. And these guys just call pass plays. What are the Colts good at outside of having D.Y. Hilton, outside of having Andrew Luck, and a pretty good offensive line in Darius Leonard? I think they're really good at being able to they're, – they're tough-minded. Don't minimize their, their tough-mindedness. I mean, look, they're down 21-10 to 10 the first time they played, and they fight back. You know, they made a mistake in that game. Last week was probably one of the few games where I didn't quite understand what they were doing offensively. But I think they're well-coached offensively. They attack. They're outstanding on third down. I mean, look, the last time they played the Texans, there were 17 third downs in the game. The Colts converted 10 of them. I mean, the Colts are able to make – throws under pressure they make critical plays when they need them and they're just relentless they they are so tough-minded you can't knock them out you're going to have to play 60 minutes of football and play really well to beat them because they're not going away and eric ebron the tight end who in one year with the colts has as many touchdowns as he had in four years with the lions i i'm wondering and i was watching earlier in your thing and okay is this something that the league is going to catch up to with Eric Ebron, but really they're just, he's using his size to out physical and out position people in the red zone. I, there's not really a solution to that. Is there? No. And I think what's happened is we, we now need a definition of another position. Like we call Zach Ertz a tight end. We call Eric Ebron a tight end when in reality, they're big receivers, they're mismatched receivers. And that's where they utilize their skill set the best. And they're able to use their, their bodies, their, their length, and their hands to make plays in critical areas of the field. And if you don't go nickel against them and you don't have a guy that can match up to that specific player, then you're going to have some severe trouble. And you've got to really think about that in the draft. You've got to go into the draft room and say, look, we're playing Zach Ertz twice a year. If you're in Washington. Now, they don't do this in Washington because God knows what, what they're doing there. But the reality of it is, is you've got to sit there and say, okay, we play Zach Ertz. We need a, a linear, tall corner who can go in there, play in the box, handle him because they never, ever, same thing with Travis Kelsey, they never point of attack block him. They always easy release him, which means they send him off to block a smaller player. And so you've got to find a way to take advantage of that matchup. And if you don't do that, these guys are going to continue to have success. More and more, we've been talking ourselves into the Texans and what they've been doing. I think every single week we look at their wins and who they have beaten and say, yeah, this is actually pretty impressive. Maybe they do have a shot to win the AFC. And I think on Friday when Kareem Hunt was released by the Kansas City Chiefs is when a lot of us started thinking, okay, not only could they get a first round bye, maybe there's even a chance at home field advantage. Is Kansas City still the AFC's best team? I know they are from a win-loss perspective without Kareem Hunt, and if not, who is? 
Uh, well, look, I mean, the Chiefs have liability on defense. I think they're going to really struggle to handle this Baltimore Raven run game. Baltimore has been able to run the football effectively the last three weeks. They've had over 200 yards rushing, and and they've only played 22 minutes of defense on average in three games. So less defense, run the ball, pretty good formula, and Lamar Jackson has given them that. So it's going to be a challenge this week to play this Raven defense. But Kansas City is still a tough team. Hunt's ability in the passing game was really the difference. He had 36 targets. He had 26 catches. He averaged over 14 yards a catch, and he has seven touchdowns. Those numbers are going to be hard for Andy Reid to replace. His run game stuff, where he was effective, was when he was in the game, he could run outside and inside zone effectively. Now with Spencer Ware, it's really more inside zone for him, and then Damon Williams comes in and it's outside zone. So as a coordinator, you kind of can figure out what the, who's in the game, what backs in the game, and what they're trying to accomplish. So that levels the field a little bit. But then you've got Kelsey to worry about, who's dynamic. Last week, they put 40 points on the board, and Tyreek Hill only had one catch for 13 yards. That's remarkable. And the ability of Mahomes to move around in the pocket creates plays. I think it's going to be a team that understands how to play pace, a team that can limit the amount of time that Kansas City actually has the football, is the team that's going to beat Kansas City. And there's a formula to do it. We just haven't seen it happen just once. Michael, I watched Baker Mayfield throw three picks in the first half last week and somehow came out of the game being really impressed with Baker Mayfield. Uh, am I am I putting too much into the positives right now? Because there are a whole lot more positives, I think, that even the statistics show. You know, he's got such a swagger to him, and he really does it. And, and, you know, one thing about interceptions, it's like baseball. It's like the center fielder in baseball doesn't have any errors. He, he's not any good. You know, it's like we get so hard on these interceptions and we make a point about them that I think sometimes quarterbacks, especially good quarterbacks, have to visualize guys getting open. Now, those were bad interceptions, no doubt. Okay, but that game was a little closer. If Callaway keeps the ball and doesn't fumble it as he's going in the end zone, this could be a little closer of a game. And I think that persistency and the competitiveness in Mayfield is what you always come away with liking, because even though that game was one sided, it really didn't feel out of reach. And I think that's because Mayfield can do some things. I think he's going to be a dynamic player. Who are you more skeptical going forward in the AFC about? Tom Brady has not looked the same this season. And on top of that, on the other side of things, Mike Tomlin, I've always been a non-Tomlin kind of guy. Between those two, who I feel like, who do you have the least faith in? Well, I think Brady's going to have to keep getting better. I mean, look, they haven't been sharp offensively. That interception in the fourth quarter is the untypical of Tom Brady. He usually protects the football. But, you know, he's got a 14-point lead. He throws an interception to really, after the the great Viking offense, threw a sight with a hot release on fourth and 11 and got tackled. I mean, that that's a almost coaching malpractice right there. So I'm not sure Brady's been able to play effectively. The weapons are there. He just hasn't been consistent like he's been in the past. As for the Steelers, I think the Steelers don't understand pace. I think, it, look, the Steelers have to get to some form of balance. To have Ben throw this thing over 45 times every single week, it leads you open to the mistakes that could be made. And I think that they've got to play a better pace of the game. Their defense is good, but I thought they got tired. I thought their conditioning was bad in the fourth quarter against the Los Angeles Chargers, and I think the Chargers took advantage of it. Michael, really appreciate it. Michael Lombardi, buy his book, Gridiron Genius. It would be a great Christmas present. Uh, Michael, have a great one. Thanks, guys.